it's important to know that you want to talk to them in a natural way. And so that's one thing that people sometimes get confused about or when the diagnosis is brand new or it's really like post-stroke and you might notice your loved one or the person with aphasia might be showing more signs of confusion, you might want to start talking to them differently, hoping that they understand. Welcome to the Listen for Life podcast with Genevieve Richardson. Genevieve is a speech-language pathologist rehabilitating adults with communication challenges after a stroke or due to a neurological impairment. Living with aphasia is hard. Caregiving is hard. You are not alone. Get equipped with knowledge from experts in the field and professionals you need to know. We'll hear stories and experiences from others who are navigating life with aphasia. So. Put your earphones in and take a walk outside. This isn't just a podcast. This is a community, a resource, and a support system. We're in this together. Do life. Good morning, Sarah. Thank you for joining me this morning. It's great to be here. So just to let you all know, I had the pleasure of meeting Sarah when I was a clinical supervisor at UT Health San Antonio this summer, and I was there for the first session of the aphasia program, which translates to the first time these clinicians are one year into their master's program, and it's the first time they have a client in front of them. And I tell you, Sarah, I adored the program. It was so much fun to work with you. What were your takeaways from the program? Yeah, all of us were super nervous, but also extremely excited. Over the course of the program, we had been there for one year, and it was all textbook knowledge plus some simulations online. But when the program started, that was us meeting people face-to-face, and we, like you mentioned, we received communication partner training, and we had all the uh, textbook knowledge on how to help, so we were excited and ready to go. But some of the main takeaways after working for two weeks with people with aphasia and the session we participated in was mostly people who had expressive aphasia, so that was also interesting because there's three sessions, and each session had a different focus on aphasia. So the first session was the expressive aphasia, second aphasia was PPA, primary progressive, and then the last one was more receptive aphasia. And like that kind of leads into one of my biggest takeaways to the camp was even though we learned how aphasias are different and how even right now it could be divided into three subcategories, within each subcategory, aphasia presents itself so differently and It's something to know that like, oh, yes, it's different for everybody. But when you actually get to interact with each individual and like work with them and talk to them, you really understand like, no, it really is like, even though you might have an expressive form of aphasia, like that almost barely means anything because there's so many different ways it presents itself. Like you could be a little bit more fluent or you could say one to two, the three words. It'll also have different like cognitive or ways it presents itself when you're like writing or thinking through puzzles or just like everyday tasks, it'll just show up differently for everybody. I think that's a huge takeaway because book learning 
when even when I was in grad school forever ago, they make it seem so black and white, but it, it is not. I really want the audience that's listening to this podcast to understand you might be diagnosed with a term, something like Broca's aphasia, but it doesn't necessarily mean your symptoms stay. You're not locked into that. That's why I'm not into labels. When I'm evaluating somebody, I really try to break down where they are breaking down and how it breaks down and how they respond to different techniques. Because somebody with Broca's aphasia one month after a stroke can change and shift their symptoms. Some symptoms get better. There is a a thing of spontaneous recovery. And they say the research is showing three months, four months, up to six months, you can have some spontaneous recovery. And that's without treatment. Then our job is to advance that treatment, advance that recovery with our skilled techniques. So Anyway, I'm trying to educate as much as I can about speech pathology because there is so much to it and language is complex. Yes, and that's one thing too that we've been really seeing. So during my session or my experience with the aphasia program, my client was gone for a couple of days. So I really got to shadow or observe other people. And that was a wonderful opportunity just to meet different families, different people, and see the different things that they were doing in therapy. All of them were really different, but it was working for them. And that was wonderful to see. And everyone made so much progress. It, it was truly beautiful. And just to know that therapy can do that and that people can like move, like you make a goal, you work on your goal, and then you can reach it. It's, it's fantastic. It is. And I think that was the beauty of doing an intensive program like that that's when you can really see the movement goals. And I think it's for you guys as brand new clinicians to know that it happens versus seeing somebody once or twice, even three times a week, it's slower practice. And sometimes you have to redo some of the work you did the previous session to keep working towards that generalization. So I think there is something to be said about, well, there's a lot of good research behind intensive programs, but that's another topic for another day. One of the days during your program, you had the opportunity to do communication partner training. And that is a term that is very popular right now, but there's lots of components to it. So what I invited Sarah to come on today to talk about is what part of communication partner training stood out to her and what are the takeaways for you, the audience, to understand more? Just so you all know, you're going to hear from other clinicians and their takeaways about communication partner training. And then part of Life Aphasia Academy, I'm going to be offering communication partner training course later on in the year. So there's my segue. That's where we're going. All right, Sarah. Tell us your impressions of communication partner training. Yes. So like you said, one of the days, me and a couple of the other clinicians were able to get together with family, friends, caregivers, just people in the support community who really wanted to be there and learn about different ways to really the communication partner training, learn different ways to communicate with their loved one and their person. So 
one of the takeaways that I thought it was very important for everyone to learn, either if you are talking to a person with aphasia and it's a casual acquaintance or it's your loved one and you spend every day with them, it's important to know that you want to talk to them in a natural way. And so that's one thing that people sometimes get confused about or when the diagnosis is brand new or it's really like post-stroke and you might notice your loved one or the person with aphasia might be showing more signs of confusion, you might want to start talking to them differently, hoping that they understand. And in a way, it could be like you might want to be talking to them like a person who doesn't speak your language in a sense. So you would start talking really slowly and you might also talk really loudly, even though they are in front of you. And if you notice what I did there too, I'm enunciating my words. I was enunciating my words more. So nobody really likes to be talked like that. Not, not at all. Like they're still right there. If they could express it, they would probably tell you like, I'm right here. You don't need to be yelling at me or enunciating your words is not helping like that's not what the problem is so basically when you're talking to a person with aphasia you want to remember that you can still hold a normal conversation with them just talk naturally so just like right now with me and Genevieve we're talking at a natural rate natural speech one thing you can do is just talk a little bit more slowly so if you tend to be a fast talker just like remember to pace it out a little bit more it doesn't um, have to be exaggerated and you don't want it to be exaggerated. It's just natural, slower tendency, kind of like what I'm doing right now. The other thing you might want to remember is that when you are talking to your person with aphasia, you do want to verify that they are able to receive everything. You verify that they receive all the information they need. So you could have a piece of paper or a whiteboard with a marker and a pencil to, as you're talking, you could be writing down some keywords so that they really have uh, multiple ways to understand what you're saying to get that message across. And I mean, of course, your person, because aphasia is so different, maybe the person you're talking to doesn't need it. They might not need it. But if you're talking to a person for the first time, you know, you pull out all the tools you have and you'll take away the tools if you see them not necessary. I think that's a really important point. So let's review. A slight slowing in your speech. So let's see if I can give an example. And I often do this. I'm doing it right now. So I, I'm not a super fast talker normally, but I do get super animated. <laughs> Sorry. I get animated about subjects that are important to me. But if you had aphasia, I would still keep my animation. And I like the term you use, dial down. Just a smidge. Just to slow your speech a little bit. Because the person with aphasia needs more processing time. Think of it like a, think of it like a computer. They just need that little bit of time. You don't turn into a robot. You don't overdo it because then they're going to lose some of that context, some of the contextual cues. 
Communication is body language and eye contact and the tone of your voice. But if you just slow down a smidge, it can make all the difference. The other takeaway I heard from you, Sarah, is writing down key words. Mm -hmm. Don't assume that they can't read. Assume they can read. And even if not, maybe they only get part of it. But it's still, if you're the spouse of someone and you need to talk about your day that you're going to go to the grocery, then the doctor, then the mailbox or the post office, write those three things down. Show them. Talk about it. Take the time to make eye contact. Don't be in a rush. Exactly. And one way I like to think about that, so instead of just like talking how you would with your, I guess your child or I guess your best friend or, or neighbor, slow down to allow them to process a little bit more. Use keywords, still be animated and use your prosody in your speech because that's part of communication, part of the fun in it. And that's one thing I did forget to mention. Like if you're a funny person, still throw in those jokes. Like don't don't change your whole personality. They know you, they love you for who you are, and they'll just appreciate you for trying and giving them a little bit more time to process and see what you're doing. And in fact, the way I like to think about it, like doing all these things, talking a little bit slower, doing keywords, still using your tone of voice in your natural way and your humor is like coloring picture with all the colors of the rainbow. So instead of just giving them one modality, so just like your speech and you're constantly coloring with like, I guess a brown crayon, like you can't get the whole picture if you're trying to draw like a tree and the house next to it. You want to add like yellow and green so that they get the full picture. And the way they would get the full picture of your message is by, you know, incorporating all these different things, the keywords. Maybe you could even use like visuals if you have them handy, like the actual object, slowing your rate just a tad bit, nothing crazy. Because you still want to be respectful. You don't want to make them feel less than because they're not. That's so, right. With that respect. Great words. Before Sarah and I started recording this morning, we were talking about what are we going to call this episode? And what did we come up with, Sarah? We talked about giving grace with uh, supported communication. So basically by that we mean is you want to be patient and you want to be kind and respectful to the person you're talking to. And also you expect that in return from the other person. It is difficult to communicate sometimes. And that's why both parties need to fully support each other and give each other the patience and kindness to assume that everyone's trying their best that they can. And they're using all that they can to get their messages across. So just give each other that grace and like, look at it. I know it, it might be easy to get frustrated sometimes, but look at it like I'm trying my best. They're trying their best. We're using everything we got in our toolboxes to talk to each other and just just know that. And it's okay. One thing we learned that is helpful, it's really good to vocalize like, hey, I know that these tips are here, but that doesn't work for me. Say that or communicate that. Oh, that specific tip. I don't personally like that. Don't do that to me. So let that message be sent and also listen to your conversation partner in that case. But 
it's okay to say when you notice frustration growing, tell the person with aphasia, your loved one, I know that you know what you want to say, and we're feeling frustrated right now. Just acknowledge the feeling sure. and say, like, I know you're frustrated. I know that you know what you want to say. So just give each other that grace. I think that's great. Any other takeaways that you want to share? Just don't shy away from talking. If an idea pops in your head, you know, oh, I really want to tell so-and-so this story that happened to me or something that I heard on the news. Don't limit yourself. Like everybody, we're all humans. We're social creatures. Everyone wants that communication. So don't shy away from talking or holding back a story. Give it a try. Like I said, give each other grace and reach across the aisle, make that connection. Every attempt is worth it. Sarah, thank you for this. I just love hearing your perspective. So much good work going on at UT Health San Antonio. I'm very impressed with the program. I love how you guys are prepared and you're thinking and really integrating information. And I think it's wonderful. I think it's great sharing the message. I love this opportunity for you to share what you're learning so our audience can hear what what's it like to be a grad student? What are you learning? And how can we help our families communicate better with their person with aphasia? Thank you, Sarah, for joining us today and sharing your insights with us. Thank you for having me, Genevieve. It was honestly a great experience working in the aphasia program clinic. And I'm loving this field so far. I look forward to what I have to do. I know in the fall semester, I'll be working inside the elementary schools, but in the spring semester, I'm hoping to go back to an outpatient clinic or potentially acute care. I don't know. My There's so many things and opportunities and places where we could help people out. And we have the knowledge to be able to help train other people too. And it's an exciting journey. I, I can't wait to see how each of them goes. So Wonderful. thank you, Genevieve. And thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sarah. Have a fabulous day. Yes, you too. Thanks for tuning in to the Listen for Life podcast. We hope you feel empowered and supported. Head over to listenforlifepodcast.com to see the show notes with links and information from today's episode. Do you have a topic, a resource to share, or a guest recommendation? Inquiring minds want to know. Let us know in the comments section. Wishing you a fabulous week.